my name is Lisa, and I'm calling from Heartland, Michigan. And I have noticed um, grocery prices really going up from week to week at sometimes an alarming rate. Even though I have money and can pretty much buy whatever we want to eat, I do shop with a budget in mind. If you've gone grocery shopping lately, you might have noticed that the amount on your receipt isn't what it used to be. Inflation has affected nearly every facet of life, and food is no exception. The prices of flour and butter have gone up 14 and 16 percent, respectively. Meat and fish prices have risen 13 percent, and fresh fruit prices have risen 8 percent. That's according to a Consumer Price Index report released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics this month. After the break, we'll take a closer look at what's behind the recent surge in food prices. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. And remember to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Let's get into the conversation. With us is Jonathan All. He's a reporter for Harvest Public Media and a correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio. Jonathan, it's great to have you back. Uh, Pleasure to be on. Thank you. Well, let's go to this message we got from Sean. The one area that really hit me was we have a subscription or auto ship with Chewy where we buy our dog food on a regular basis. And the bag of dog food that we've been buying for many years that cost about $45 a bag is now $80 a bag. Sean, thanks for that message. Jonathan, we've mentioned the cost of a few individual food items, but give us a broader sense of how much food prices have gone up in the past year or so. Well, it's difficult to say that exactly because the numbers keep changing on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis. Um, Earlier this year, the USDA projected that food prices would be about 5% higher, but even that estimate seems to be a little bit low. As you mentioned, in in, in particular areas, uh, there are, we're seeing prices up around 15, 16%, especially in like pork and beef. Uh, We're also seeing fresh fruits up around uh, 10%. 10%. Um, Even uh, cereals, bakery products, sugars and sweets, we're seeing uh, increases that are up over 5, 6, 7%. So it you know it, it's difficult to say how much uh, all groceries are going up because things keep changing from day to day and month to month. But it is definitely something that is a lot higher than was last week, two weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago. Well, we're hearing that prices are expected to rise even more this year. How high could they go? Again, we don't know. Uh, you know, any time that you are looking at any inflationary pressure. Um, there is just a lot of uncertainty. You know, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately old enough to remember the, uh, the, the late 70s and early 80s, and we saw a whole lot of uncertainty about inflation back then, and, and people thought, well, it could never get, you know, interest rates can't be up over 10%, and they did. Uh, so when it comes to food prices, we just don't know how high it could go. Um, th- maybe the good news is that the agriculture commodities do have a way of evening themselves out about as quickly as they can. So uh, compared to maybe some other sectors, if it's possible for food prices to stabilize or even go down, you might see it there quicker than you would in other sectors. But there's just so much uncertainty uh, going forward that we just don't know. Why are food prices going up, Jonathan? 
oh, I wish I could tell you because <laughs> I'd, I'd write a book and I'd go on the lecture circuit. Like anything else, it's incredibly complicated. You know, we like to talk about things in generalities, but the nuance and the complication is really, really difficult uh, to parse out. Although there are a couple of big factors that we can't ignore. Number one, the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, and the sanctions against Russia that, uh, that followed it. Because the big things that those did were uh, wheat. There's a lot of wheat that is grown in Russia and Ukraine, and a lot of that is just not on the market anymore. In addition, Russia is a huge supplier of fertilizer or the raw materials that go into fertilizer. So fertilizer prices are going up like crazy as well, which then uh, increases grain prices, which then increases beef prices and so on and so forth uh, down the line. So the, 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 the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a big issue. The second big issue is just inflation in general, lack of um, uh, people power to fill jobs, uh, labor costs are going up, uh, shipping costs are going up, gas prices are going up, and all of those things are required to get food from the field onto people's plates. So those two things are the biggest things, but they're not the only ones. And how it affects each individual uh, grocery item or even crop sector is even more complicated than that. Now, Jonathan, animal byproducts like meat and dairy have risen more than other food items. How much does it take to produce the, these animal products? And well, how is that driving up the price? Well, it, there are more steps. And when anytime you're in an inflationary situation, the more steps in the process, the more opportunities there are for each inflationary pressure to end up the final output. Because for, let, let's just take beef, for example. Well, before any of that starts, you need a farmer that has to buy a seed, and fertilizer and other things that we call inputs. They have to put it in the ground, they have to grow it, they have to harvest it. Then they have to send it to some place to be processed. Then from there, another farmer buys it to feed it to their cows. Then those cows eat it, then those cows have, take time to grow, then they need to be transported to slaughter. Then they're slaughtered and then they need to be processed. And then from processing them, then they go to packaging. And then from packaging, they go to the grocery store and then from the grocery store to you. So each time you have a step in the process, there is another opportunity for inflationary pressure to increase the price a little bit. Now, what we just heard from that comment about uh, farmer's markets, one of the reasons why those might not be seeing quite as high prices is that it removes so many of the other steps, but not all of them, because even your local farmer that sells at the farmer's market still has to buy grain. They still have to take their animals to a, a locker or to some other place to be processed and then sold to you. So there's fewer steps, but there are still steps. And in every one of those steps, inflation can jack up that price a little bit. Now, the most immediate impact of higher food prices is how it's affecting consumers. P people may have to cut down on how much they buy or they won't be able to buy certain items at all. But what are some of the long-term effects of this aspect of inflation? Well, you know, the, the thing about any time that food inflation happens, like with most things in, in, in our economy, it affects people who are poor much more than it affects people who are rich. Uh, because people who are rich, they have more income, they can buy, you know, if you, if food is, you know, X percent of your disposable income, um, then, you know, it, it, if you, and you have a lot more than X, 
paying a little bit more is not that big a deal. But when food is a larger percentage of your total budget, then it does affect you more. So I think that, that the long-term ramifications, I think we're probably going to see more on people who have fewer resources and can uh, and not be are less in a position to be able to afford a jump in food prices for the long term. Uh, that can be seen anywhere from health effects. People, you know, we, we heard from your one person that, that they're eating healthier. It's also a lot easier to eat less healthy and less nutritious uh, diets when prices are higher as well. So how this is going to affect people in different socioeconomic cla uh, classes is really a big deal and unfortunately one that we might not totally understand until we're a little bit further out uh, from the price hikes. Here's the message we got from Donna who says, if I were a supplier and knew that people would hoard at the slightest fear of catastrophe, I'd probably jack up prices too. To what extent could companies be taking advantage of inflation? In other words, raising their prices because higher prices are expected. I, I don't want to accuse anybody of gouging, but I will say that um, any company that is for profit always takes advantage of charging the highest price possible that doesn't affect uh, the amount that they sell or their profit level. Um, it, it's just the way that capitalism works is that, that every in every company I invest, I hope they're in, I hope they're doing that. Uh, but when it comes to food, you know, it that it becomes a little more of a de de delicate question because now you're talking about people's ability to survive. But yes, there are definitely increases that are happening because companies know that they're following supply and demand and they can get more for their product if they if they charged a lot less, their profits would go down and they would still sell everything that they, they have available to them. Um, so again, it's, it's, it, I'm not accusing anybody of gouging per se, but I doubt anybody in the food process uh, from farm to uh, table. There aren't, uh, aren't a lot of people who are going to be losing money in this, and I think you're going to see a lot of very healthy corporate um, earnings reports during this period. So where do consumers go from here? Are there any solutions other than waiting it out? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, because we're talking about this is the result of a food system that is in place. And it is a food system that, to its credit, works very well most of the time. Food is generally cheap and it's generally very well uh, available. So when something comes up that isn't working quite right, it's really difficult to make a quick pivot because we have this very complicated food system in place and you can't change that overnight, and you definitely can't change that in reaction to an inflationary pressure. Vale writes, it's getting tough with groceries and gas, a rent hike, unexpected car repairs, and the slow season at work. I've got $186 to last for two weeks. Every month, I'm a little farther behind. Let's add another voice to the conversation. Matt Miles is a fourth-generation farmer in southeast Arkansas. He grows corn, rice, cotton, and wheat. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you. Jonathan, let's just start with the basics. What is fertilizer and why is it so important for farmers? Well, fertilizer puts nutrients into the soil, and it's important to farmers because if you have the right nutrients at the right time in the right place for the right crops, it increases your yield or the amount of crops that you produce. So it's super important for farmers because to be able for them to, to grow enough to be able to make uh, money on their crops, they need to have as much yield as possible. And it's gotten very scientific and very targeted and very, very high tech to know what 
fertilizer you need, things like uh, uh, nitrogen uh, or phosphorus to at the right place at the right time. And when you do that, you get more yield. That's why it's so important to them. Matt, how have higher input prices for products like fertilizer impacted your business this year? Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, you know, dictated, uh, you know, our bottom line. We went from, you know, say $300 a ton nitrogen last year to, you know, I've seen some over $1,200. So, you know, that's four times the amount of money. And you typically order products a year in advance, but how have you had to adjust this year? Yeah, you know, with the supply chain issues and, and the rising cost, uh, supply shortages, you know, we actually we actually pride ourselves in doing a really good job of pre-planning for the following year. Uh, this year, it didn't quite happen, you know, as it was supposed to. A lot of the products that we did pre-order, say in October, you know, we still didn't get those products. So uh, we're in new waters. You know, we're we're treading in new waters that we've never seen normally. When you when you need a product. You know, in the United States, you normally can get it. This year's not so much. This is something we've just never seen before. So you're battling on two fronts. You have the cost of these products, but also their availability. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Now, Jonathan, why are fertilizer prices rising? Is it the same reason we're seeing food prices go up? In in a large point, yes. Uh, the, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a big part of it. Uh, there's also just inflation, supply chain issues, labor costs. Um, there was also a, a, a big fertilizer plant that was damaged uh, due to some natural weather uh, that kind of diminished supply. So all add all of those things up, and yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And so connect the dots for us. How does this rise in fertilizer costs relate to the rise in food prices? Well, um, if you if it cost if your inputs cost more, uh, so for a, a, a person like Matt, if he has to pay more for fertilizer then he's got to charge more to the extent possible for grain when he sells it because it costs him more uh, to be able to produce it. Then when somebody, a, a producer buys that grain to feed to their animals, they ha- that is a higher input cost for them and it keeps getting passed on down the line eventually until the pack of meat you pick up in the grocery store is at a higher price because of all of the things that led up to it. So yeah, fertilizer is definitely having an input in- impact on that. Jonathan, I, I want to get a little bit more into this fertilizer piece of the conversation because there are two types, manure and chemical. How are they different? First of all, manure is is much less used. I mean, the, the chemical stuff is much is inc- incredibly much more used, um, and and it is it's just a lot more targeted because um, and and maybe Matt can weigh in on this as well. I bet Matt knows his acres that need phosphorus in May, and he knows his acres that need nitrogen in April. Uh, you know, a lot of these uh, the the fertilizer is so directed, and you know the soil sampling and the testing that farmers do. Um, they, it is incredibly targeted. Now, manure fertilizer, that is definitely something that, that you know, it's what we used to do a long time ago. Um, and, and it's definitely something that other people are looking at. But, you know, it's just a lot less precise and a lot less technically um, accurate because, you know, it, it's not as static of a product as buying nitrogen or buying phosphorus. So chemical is a lot more efficient. It's a lot uh, uh, easier to apply in very targeted ways. But yeah, there are, one thing that has happened with the fertilizer price in, increase is that some farmers are looking at what can you do with good old-fashioned manure and to what extent can that be a cheaper alternative. But again, it talked about this food system. We're just not set up to have a radically different change 
in how you make sure that you have crops growing, um, you know, on a dime like that. And I, I'd, I'd love to hear what Matt has to say about that. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, well, we fortunately you got a guy on here today that uses a lot of manure. Um, that that's something we've been doing for about 15 years. It you know it's organic. Uh, you know we're not having to spend quite as much money on the synthetic fertilizers. The problem is manure in the last 12 months has went up 30 percent also. So you know these guys out here producing the manure, they they didn't just fall off the off the potato wagon yesterday. They know what fertilized prices are, and they're increasing that manure. At, at pretty close to the same rate as the synthetic fertilizers. And, and as, as he had said earlier, it's more of a targeted area because you have to be close to manure sources. So a guy that's, you know, five or 600 miles away from say a, a poultry house, he don't have the availability to use a manures and, and has to choose synthetics. Matt, what will you do if fertilizer prices don't go down soon? I uh, really don't have a lot of choice. Now we're we're about through with this crop as far as our fertility. We've got a few more applications to do, but uh, you know, what, what can I do if I quit producing food and, and fiber, what are, what's the rest of the world going to do? So, you know, we're kind of locked in a situation where we don't have a lot of choices. Well, earlier this month, President Biden spoke to farmers at a family farm in Illinois. My administration is looking at how to extend crop insurance coverage to give financial security to farmers like Jeff who practice double cropping. Secondly, I want to also, farmers worried about raising rising fertilizer uh, costs and what is the content of the fertilizer. That's why earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced it would invest $250 million to boost fertilizer production. Matt, what support would you like to see from the government? You know, uh, you know if we could get more production in the United States and not depend so much on foreign countries, and that's with every input we have, we have gotten so lazy at just trying to get everything from someone else and we quit producing the things in our own country which would create jobs and more opportunities for our individual country uh you know financial assistance to see that would be great uh you know a farmer doesn't a farmer would way rather not have financial assistance and have supply and demand take care of our needs and our profits and our margins that's not always the case you know with the way the government is today so uh, any help at all would be appreciated for sure. What do you want people to understand about your work, Matt? You know, mostly uh, things have changed so much and just say the last, you know, five years, but for sure the last 20 years, uh, the agriculture industry, the farmers, we needed to improve what we're doing. I, I, I will never disagree with that. But through social media and different outlets now, you know, we're kind of betrayed as the bad guy. Uh, we're out there trying to provide the food you know, for the world to survive on, but yet we get, you know, kind of ridiculed about that, you know, a lot on social media. And, uh, you know, I just would like for people to know that we are absolutely doing this as safe as we can. As Jonathan said, you know, we put fertility where it needs it, not everywhere. You know, we put in, we put all the insecticides and pesticides where they're needed, not just everywhere. Not going to say that a lot of that didn't happen 20, 25 years ago, but just as everybody else has evolved, in their businesses and life and everything else, you know, farmers have too. And I would just like to, you know, I would like for that message to be brought out more that we're actually doing a pretty good job. Jonathan, do you think there are any changes this moment could bring to the farm industry for the long run? You know, it's so hard for one moment in time to have substantial change. Um, and and I, I, I can't 
hate to keep harping on this, but it really has to do with the food system that we have. Are we happy with it? If we're not, we can change it. But again, that is a long process that has to be consumer driven and then has to be responded to uh, by the, the businesses and, and, and people who are in, in, in the business of production. So, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things we learned during the pandemic is a lot of a lot of people did like the idea of being more local, thinking about where their food comes from, getting to know people who are growing it. But that would have to happen on a, a, a scale of thousands of times over for it to have a meaningful and long-lasting change to the food system that we have. That's Matt Miles. He's a fourth-generation farmer in southeast Arkansas. Matt, thank you for speaking with us. Yes, ma'am. I enjoyed it. We're discussing the high cost of food and fertilizer. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. A reminder that you can join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. Now let's get back to our conversation about the high cost of food and fertilizer. And let's bring another voice into the conversation. Maximo Torero Cullen is the chief economist of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Maximo, welcome to the program. Hi, a pleasure to be here. What are your biggest concerns about the rising cost of fertilizer as far as its global implications? So our bigger concern is that because of the relationship between gas and, uh, and, and nitrogen production, and also because of the export restriction of Russian Federation of fertilizers, is that this will be affecting the affordability of fertilizers by farmers. Uh, and as a result of that, this could be affecting the yields of next year. So the 2022-2023 planting season, and that could put at risk uh, not only food access, but also food availability for the world, uh, given the, the current situation that we are facing. We got this message from Deborah, who writes, COVID is still running rampant in many countries, including China. It continues to cause temporary and long-term illness in workers, which affects businesses around the world, including the food industry. Why isn't this being mentioned? Jonathan, how big of a role is COVID? We are very much still in a global pandemic, but how big of a role is that playing right now? Well, again, a lot of it depends on where you are and what exactly is going on, because you know, if, uh, if, if you are in a COVID hotspot where there is a lot of uh, people who have to call off work, you know, for five days or longer uh, because they are sick and then uh, it spreads through a production plant, that raises prices and it redu- reduces uh, availability. So, yes, uh, the pandemic is definitely still a factor in the context of how it affects labor costs and labor availability. Those are definitely still big issues. And those are different um, in each in different parts of the U.S. and in different countries, depending on how things are produced, where they're produced, and what their approach to the pandemic is. Maximo, the U.N. estimates that global food prices have risen by nearly one-third over the last year. How is this impacting the world's poorest populations? So the, the impact uh, on the food import bill of the poorest countries is important. For example, the food price index or the, the food price index for, for Egypt has increased in 35.4%, Pakistan 30.9%, India around 10.5%. You also will have countries like Lebanon that has multiplied uh, times three in Argentina, 161.2%. So the major problem this year is of food access uh, because increasing prices of, of cereals, uh, with exception of rice, uh, 
uh, has exacerbated other commodities, and as a result of that, the food import bill of all these countries which are import dependent has substantially increased. And always, it will affect the most vulnerable people, it will affect the most vulnerable countries. And even within middle-income countries and high-income countries, it will affect the people which are the poorest in those countries. Are there specific regions that are at most risk of suffering a major food crisis? The regions that, that are immediately or they were immediately at risk because they were fully import dependent on uh, on the imports of wheat and, and corn from Ukraine and Russian Federation were, of course, North, North Africa and some South Asian countries. But the problem right now has scaled up to the most uh, vulnerable countries in the world, which we have 53 countries in food crisis right now. So the poorest you are, the less capacity you have to cover the cost of your imports, and that's what—that's one of the proposals that FAO is 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 bringing up, which is basically looking at how we can cover the increase in the food import of those most vulnerable countries, and what will be the cost to do that, because that will be essential to avoid any potential problem this year of social unrest. Is so, that- just to give you an idea of the magnitude, if we talk of of sub-Saharan of Africa, the total increase in the import bill right now is around $9 billion. If we cover 100% of the difference, if you cover 10%, of course, it's $0.9 billion. So the number is not so big, and institutions can do something like the IMF to support that. Maximo, according to the UN, the number of severely food insecure people in the world doubled in, in the past two years. What efforts have there been to combat food insecurity during the pandemic? So during the, the pandemic, uh, there were several efforts that were developed and were implemented. So if you look at, for example, what happened at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, there were significant logistical problems. One of the issues that FAO raised from the first day of the pandemic was there is no health without food. Uh, so, so it was essential to move food. And it took a couple of months, but the sector, the industrial sector, showed that they could cope with it and show resilience. And they they immediately tried to find solutions to the logistical problems. And that's why food really was not scarce at the beginning and during the period of the pandemic. The other issue that was really important, and it's also extremely relevant now, is that at the beginning of the pandemic, some countries tried to put some export restrictions because they had some uh, potential risks and therefore they decided to restrict exports of certain commodities. And that, of course, immediately affects prices. But because there was information on the availability of stocks in the world and the availability of food, and and recall that at the beginning of the pandemic, we had pretty good stocks and we have food available, uh, that immediately was moved out. And that helped enormously because it calmed the markets and allowed food to flow properly. So when you look at it it broadly, is this global issue, is is it an issue of a lack of food or a lack of access to food? No. Right now, in 2022, the problem that we have is a, is a food access problem. It's not a food availability problem. And let me explain why. So right now, if we look at what is the gap in wheat, despite of the war in Ukraine, the gap in wheat exports is 3 million metric tons because other countries like India has exported more. Uh, and in the case of, of corn, maize, the lack is around 12 million metric tons because Argentina and the U.S. have increased their exports. So that's not such a big gap, and that's already reflected in the prices. So what we have seen is prices higher, and therefore that creates a problem of food access. Our concern is that because of the low use of fertilizers, given the supply restriction that we are facing today, next year we could have a problem of food availability, and not only food access, but also food availability. Why? Because if we assume that the conflict continues, which seems will be the case, the war, and we remove from the equation the exports of Ukraine, which are around 
uh, 8 million metric tons. In total, there are around 24 million metric tons uh, per year. Uh, and we remove the exports of, of Russia Federation. That means 30% of the cereals in the market will be moved out of the exporting cereals and means that around 63% of the exports of sunflower will be removed out. And to that, if you add the fact that the yields could be lower because of the lower use of fertilizers, because the affordability by farmers has reduced substantially, then that could put us in a problem of food availability next year. So that's what we need to avoid. But this year, I will only say that we have a problem of food access, which is bad, but it's, it's important to differentiate. Jonathan, as you, as you are watching this play out over the coming, let's say, months, what are you watching most closely to assess whether we, we may be, you know, turning a corner on, on prices or whether this is going to be a longer term issue? Well, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's really impossible to see a long term trend in a day by day time. Mm-hmm. Um, we just might not know. Um, I, you know, I, I'll say for me personally, I'm like everyone else. It's what I see at the grocery store. I have a family of four and, you know, we, we have definitely made changes in what we purchase. Uh, but, you know, I was also at the farmer's market this Saturday and I bought stuff for a few meals there as well. So, you know, I think that, that the long term is going to be cloudy for a while. Um, we can point to if inflation goes down, if the war in Ukraine is resolved, those will help. But those aren't the only things. There's a lot of other things. So, you know, gas prices go down. That would be good. Inflation goes down. Uh, you know, there's more uh, wheat that's being grown. Those could all be good things. But it's, it's not simple. I wish it was simple, but it's incredibly complicated. That's Jonathan All. He's a reporter for Harvest Public Media. He's also a correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio. Also with us, Maximo Torero Cullen. He's the chief economist of the Food and Agriculture Organization for the United Nations. Jonathan Maximo, thank you for speaking with us. Today's producer was Haley Blassingay. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. This is 1A.